0: We're in a series right now where we're working through the, the gospel of John. Uh, and John, in his uh, gospel account, he it tells us exactly why he is writing it. He says, I am writing this so that those who read it would have life. And, and John believed that life came through the person and work of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he wanted everyone to believe in Jesus so that they might have life. And what we've seen so far in the Gospel of John, is just a whole bunch of of different people encountering Jesus and believing in him. Uh, And the trend has been that a lot of these people that Jesus have interacted with, whether it be John the Baptist or the disciples or or some people that he healed or people that watched him perform miracles, that they would believe in him. And then at the end of chapter 6, Uh, we notice something different. Jesus, in chapter 6, performs this incredible miracle in front of a large crowd, and a whole bunch of people believed. And then Jesus opens his mouth, and we really didn't look at this in depth, uh, this part of the chapter that much, um, last week, and so I would encourage you to to go back and, and read it for yourself. But Jesus then opened his mouth, and he said some things that were uncomfortable to some people. And a whole bunch of people decided that they didn't want to follow him anymore. And this is a a trend that will now continue through the rest of the book of John and continue even to today. And that is that there are some people who when they come face to face with Jesus, they believe. And there are some that when they come face to face with Jesus, they don't believe. And what we're going to see today is both of these things. And we're going to be in John chapter 7. If you have a Bible with you, you'll definitely uh, find it helpful to make uh, your way there. Uh, In John 7, what we're going to see is that many of the people who did not believe in Jesus, didn't believe in Him because He would not fit into their neat, tidy little box that they had made for Him. I am going to... I want to read a few sentences from an article that I came across recently. The article was written a few years ago, but I only recently stumbled upon it. And the author of this article was talking about the fact that every one of us is out searching for a God. We're, we're searching for something to believe in. Whether, whether you grew up in a religious home or an irreligious home, no matter what you, you, where you grew up in, in this world, all of us are searching for something. Some sort of God that we can worship, that we can place our faith in, even even if we wouldn't call it a God. And and the author says this, he says, when we finally find it, he says, when I finally catch sight of it, I am bedazzled by its glory and I am moved to bow before it. These places where I behold this God, where I delight in its sheer power and dazzling splendor are the resting places of how I see this God. I experience it in the flowers, but my friend catches sight of it at sundown on Carmel Beach. Thus, when I have finally given a name to it and have glimpsed my God, it turns out that the place in which I have seen it functions as a mirror. And when when one looks in a mirror, it reflects back the one who is looking into it. In short, the God that bedazzles me is a mirror image of its creator. A display of my desires and longings. Like my new iPhone, it is an extension of me. And see, this is how, in our culture, we treat God, right? He is an extension of us because we're so caught up in expressive individualism that everything about us is really an extension of who we are, an extension of our personality. We want people to see who we are in our clothes, uh, we want people to see who we are in our phones, in our cars, in our relationships, and in our God. We, we want people, and we want to be able to control all of these things. In other words, we want to put everything into a neat, tidy little box that we have created for our world. And we expect God to live inside of that box. We, 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 want, we want a God that agrees with us. We want a God that, that says the things that we like. And 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 when we finally find that God, we go, that's him. Or that's her. Or that's it. Or that's them. But here's the thing God refuses to live inside our tiny little box. God is a, a, God, a, God, a God is a God is God regardless of whether you believe he is or not. And John, in his gospel account, so much wants us to see that Jesus is God, that he is the God who refuses to live inside our tiny little box and to believe in him. And as we discover, some did and some didn't. And so let's pick this up in John 7 verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, "'Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If If you do these things, show yourself to the world.'" not even his brothers believed in him. So if, if you've been with us in this series, you know that Jesus has been picking up a, a little bit of a, a, a reputation. It started with Jesus saying things like He was equal with God and, and Jesus saying things like he was the only way to eternal life and, and then performing miracles and healing people and then performing the big miracle of feeding thousands as we saw last week. And his numbers just peak of people following him and then his numbers immediately plummet. And in John 7 verse 1, we are reminded that the stakes are being raised, that the Jewish leaders are, are, are not only set against Jesus, they are actually seeking to kill him. And so he went home. He went to Galilee, which was his home region where where he wouldn't be chased down by those who were trying to kill him, and and he he had some time to be able to just hang out with his brothers. And let's stop there for a second. Uh, These brothers that Jesus was hanging out with were his actual brothers. Uh, We don't usually think about Jesus as having actual brothers. But in Mark, there's another version of this story. Let me read it. It says, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get those things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is is not this the carpenter? the son of mary and brother of james and joseph and judas and simon and are not his sisters here with us and they took offense at him so so what we know is that jesus had at least four brothers and at least two sisters jesus is at least the oldest of seven and his mom, Mary, and his stepdad, Joseph, had a bunch of other kids, right? So, so Jesus had a bunch of half-siblings, and he's hanging out with his brothers, and they're in Galilee, and his brothers are like, hey, listen, Jesus, why, why don't you take this miracle show on the road? The, the big festival is, is happening up in Jerusalem. Why don't you go there, do some of your big miracles, Uh, And and, and do them out in the open so that everyone can see you and you can just gain a reputation. Now what does it then say in verse 5? For not even his brothers believed in him. Not even those closest to Jesus believed in him. They believed in his miracles. They believed that somehow he was able to do some stuff, but they they smirked at his claim to be the Messiah. In fact, in Mark 3.21, it tells us that that they thought their older brother was out of his mind. Why? Because he was the brother. Now, any one of you who has a brother, uh, I want you to um, think about your brother and as I take a sip of tea, I want you to imagine what it'd be like if someone said that your brother is God. Right? Right? So they're, so they're like, Jesus, we, we'd like you to go to the big city and, 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 and take this thing on the road, and, 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 and become famous. Because we like the idea of having a famous brother, but we're not interested in having a Messiah brother. Because, you know, Mom always said, you were the perfect one. And, and Jesus is like, you know. But Jesus' response to them tells us a little bit more about why it is that they did not believe. Verse 6. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come. But your time is already always here. In other words, we're on different timetables. You guys can kind of come and go as, as as you please. I'm a being chased by the Jews that want to kill me, and b I'm on someone else's timetable. Jesus has been telling us for six chapters now that he is on God's the God the Father's timetable. So that he does what he does, he does at the timing of God the Father. So he's like, I'm on a different. A different timetable. You guys are free to move about when you want. I'm not free to move about when I want. He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. So you go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast for my time has not fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. Okay, did you notice that little verse right there in the in the middle of that listen, listen listen to it again the world cannot hate you but it hates me because i testify about it that its works are evil this is jesus categorically refusing to be placed in a tidy little box in what sense well because jesus calls sin sin what is sin Well, sin is any failure to reflect the image of God in our nature, our attitude, or our actions. And so, any time that we are fundamentally, internally or externally, unlike God, is when we're sinful. And Jesus uses a stronger word than we feel comfortable with when he's describing sin. Evil. Jesus says when we sin, when we have a sinful nature or sinful attitudes or, or sinful actions, that is evil. And, and I just did a quick perusal through the gospel accounts just looking for different things that Jesus called sinful. So therefore, things that Jesus called evil. Uh, so here's a, li- a short little list of some of the things I came across. Jesus called hypocrisy evil. And we're all like, yeah, that, that's evil, right? Like, we're like, yeah, hypocrisy is is evil. I'm down with that. Then Jesus said, neglecting justice and mercy is evil. And I think most of us would get behind that. We're like, yeah, you should be just, you should be merciful. And Jesus said that greed is evil. And we agree with that as long as it's about other people because the definition of greedy is the person that wants just a little more stuff than we have, right? Right? We, we don't think we're, we're greedy, so we're like, yeah, that, you shouldn't be greedy. And then Jesus says, lying is evil. And we're like, ah, sort of, right? We're like, yeah, yeah, big lie, or when someone lies to me, totally evil. But sometimes when, you know, I've got to tell a little white lie, you know, it's better. It just makes people feel better. You, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. Jesus says, it's evil. Lying is a sin. Lying is evil. So is, according to Jesus, having sex with someone that you're not married to. That is evil. And now this is going contrary to our culture big time. And then Jesus ramps it up in Matthew 5. He says, if you even look at someone else you're not married to with lust in your eyes, it's just as bad as you had slept with them. That is evil, he says. So flipping through Instagram and and pausing little bit flipping through Facebook and pausing a little bit that kind of lurking Jesus says that is evil now I know what maybe some of you are thinking you're thinking well I don't agree with that I don't believe that to be true but do you know what else Jesus said is evil look it up it's in Matthew 15 Jesus said teaching man-made ideas as if they were equal to the truth of God is also evil can we just admit that Jesus refuses to live in our tiny little box? Right? So Jesus called stuff out. He calls sin, sin. He calls things evil that we want to do, that, the things that we really, really like, right? And so Jesus refuses to live in that box. And so his brothers were like, well, we, we, we can't really stand with you on this stuff. And so what's Jesus' response He says, the world then cannot hate you. The world doesn't hate those who completely agree with the world. The reason Jesus was so hated was because he stood apart from the world in which he lived. Jesus' message about God's holiness, about human sin, and about our need for forgiveness, it it, it didn't flatter the world or massage the egos of its hearers, and he was hated for it. So Jesus says, you guys go up to the festival. I'm not going to go up to the festival because my time is not now. I'm on a different timetable than you. You guys just go ahead. Now hold on to that because in verse 10, it says, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up. I mean, total brother move, right? He's like, listen, I'm I'm on a different timetable. You guys go up. So they went up and then he went up. But he didn't go the way they wanted. He didn't go publicly. He went privately. He snuck into the, the city quietly. It says, then the Jews were looking for him at the feast. They, they knew he would be there somewhere. So they're, so they're looking for him and saying, where is he? And there was such muttering about him among the people. While well, some said he is a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So while Jesus went in, Quietly, people around the entire city were, were muttering about him. The whole city was a buzz, and some were for him, and others were against him. And the Jewish leaders were hoping to find him. And then, boom, Jesus does go public. But he does it in the opposite way that his brothers wanted. Verse 14, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. And so, instead of coming out and performing, some amazing miracles. He just walks into the temple, says, all right, everyone, now roll up your scrolls, let's get going. And he just starts teaching in the temple. Verse 15, the Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? In other words, he wasn't formally trained by by a rabbi. He didn't have the right kind of credentials or background, and yet he was teaching in a way that other passages of Scripture would describe as teaching with authority unlike the other religious elite. And, and so Jesus launches his public ministry with teaching, not with miracles. But, but, but he, he launches it as a, an uneducated carpenter teaching, and just like his miracles validated his divinity... So did his ability to teach without being trained. So everyone's like, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? And in verse 16, Jesus replies, my teaching is not of my own. It comes from the one who sent me, and I speak on his authority. And this is what Jesus has been doing for six and a half chapters now, constantly pointing out the fact that he is there by the will of of God the Father to do the will of, of, of God the Father. And he says, I'm going to call out the truth about this, about this father, even if, tying back to the last couple of verses, even if you hate me for it. And then Jesus lays down a three-point sermon in one verse, verse 19. He says, has not Moses given you the law, yet you, that none of you keeps the law, why do you seek to kill me? It's a three-point sermon. What does he he say? You guys know the law. You guys have the law, which means you know what God's expectations are. The law is 613 specific rules given to the Jews in the Old Testament that they were supposed to obey. And if they didn't obey, there were severe consequences, sometimes even death, and ultimately eternal death and separation from God. And so he goes, you know the law, and you don't keep the law. And you guys are trying to kill me. Because you think I'm a lawbreaker? And now remember, they thought Jesus was a lawbreaker because they saw him do one specific thing. And you have to go back several chapters when Jesus healed a guy on the Sabbath. And so people looked at him and said, well, it's great that this guy is, he healed it all and, and, and we're really happy that he, you know, he couldn't walk and now he could walk. But more importantly, why do you do it on Saturday? Because the, the law says that you don't do this on, a, uh, on the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders wanted to kill him for this. But Jesus answers them. He says, I did one work. I did this one miracle on, a, on the Sabbath. And you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a, a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. What Jesus is saying is, you guys are not being logical here. Because you know that the law, in the law there are things that seem to not fit, right? Like, okay, you, you can't work on the Sabbath. But every Jewish boy had to be circumcised on the eighth day, which means that if the eighth day was on the Sabbath, you're okay with the rabbi performing circumcision because that's an act of worship. That's an act of the fulfillment of the law. And Jesus says, I am the ultimate fulfillment of the law. And I'm I'm, I'm healing this guy's whole body. And I'm going to do it on the day that I want to do it, including the Sabbath, because that is an act of worship of God for me to do that. In other words... Jesus refused to live in their neat, tidy little box. Now, I'm just going to read through the rest of this chapter. We'll stop at certain points, but I just want us to hear this um, in context. Starting in verse uh, 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem, therefore, said, "'Is not this the man whom they seek to kill?' And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. And so now they're trying to figure out what to do with Jesus. They're they're trying to sort out what they know about the Messiah and what they know about Jesus. And they're trying to figure out how to make these things work. And there's even some conspiracy theorists in there. So they're going, hey, are the authorities hiding something from us? Do they know something that we don't know? And they're wrestling with this Jesus that won't fit in this tiny little box. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught taught in the temple, you know me. And you know where I come from. So he's saying what they're thinking. You know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. Again and again and again for six and a half chapters. Jesus will not be quiet about the fact that he is there for the Father's work. Uh, Will. I came from the Father. I do nothing that the Father doesn't want me to do. I only say the things that the Father wants me to say. I mean, Jesus has been saying this again and again and again and again. And then it says, So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. I love this. you You want to come up with a reason why something happens or does not happen? This is the reason. God didn't want it to happen yet. In fact, that's a good little framework for, for our life, isn't it? Like, like, why hasn't this happened yet? Or why did this happen to me? Why didn't this happen to me? God's in control. The reason they didn't arrest Jesus wasn't because they couldn't find him, you know, couldn't find handcuffs big enough. It, it was because God was not ready for it yet. His time had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? I love that. They're essentially saying, if this, if this guy ain't the Messiah, who is? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest them. So they're like, en- enough is enough. It's, it's, it's time to stop this. And Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. See, we have the advantage of of looking back over 2,000 years of church history to know what Jesus was talking about. When Jesus says, I'm going away to a place that you cannot come, he's not saying, I'm dodging the arrest. He's not saying, I'm going to go and teach the Greeks. What he's saying is that after living the sinless life that we can't live, perfectly fulfilling all 613 laws of the Old Testament, that Jesus would die on a cross and, 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 and have the entire sins of all of us who have failed to follow God. All of us who have sinned, all of, a, all of us who do evil things are poured out on Jesus on the cross. And, 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 and that when he died and conquered sin, Satan, and death, and then was buried and then on the third day rose again and ascended to the right hand of God, the Father, where he sits and advocates for those who believe in him. And he says, you're not going to just be able to come in and just traipse into the throne room where I am with God. Now, does that mean that we can never join him? No, to the contrary. He says, verse 37, he says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. So there's an intensity uh, to his preaching that is increasing. He's saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Now, to feel the full weight of Jesus' words here, we need to understand the context into which, he's, into which he speaks these words, because this is at the height of the, of the feast, the, the Feast of Booths, or the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, which was this annual celebration where the Jews gathered for a week in Jerusalem to commemorate, by living in, in temporary shelters all across the city, they commemorated the 40 years that their ancestors spent in the desert with Moses. And on the last day of this great feast, what they would do is they would draw water out from the pool of Siloam and and then process it to the temple and pour out on the altar this water to remember the time when the Lord brought water out of a rock in the desert to save the lives of his parched and dying people. And so just imagine this, this, this scene with with masses of people all all about, and, and this water is being poured out in the background, while likely the words of Psalm 118 are being recited, Lord, save us, Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's in the midst of all of this that Jesus then stands up and declares with a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him would, were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus has not yet, was not yet glorified. Here's the truth. You do not need a Jesus that will fit in your neat, tidy little box, because that Jesus will do you no good. You need a Jesus that will save you from the neat, tidy little box that you have stuck yourself into, that you expect everyone else to fit into with you. And what does Jesus say? He says, if any of you thirst, if, if any of you thirst, then come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Does that sound familiar? If you were with us a a few months, a couple months ago, um, you know uh, Jesus met a Samaritan woman at a well in a village called Sychar. And there he said essentially the same thing to her. What what was going on with her? Well, she was feeling trapped. Her her sin had kind of trapped her. And so Jesus had said to her, What's happening is you've got this thirst in your life. That you're longing for. And that's why we all we all look for a God to worship. It's why we're out there trying to find something to believe in, something to worship, something to to place at the center of our life, whether that be a God or whether that be a, a relationship or that be our libido or that be money, that be, or that be success, power, or fame, or good grades. We're looking for something to worship. We're thirsty. And so Jesus, in, in Mark 7, I want to read another, another list of, of, of evil things that, that Jesus says describes our, 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 our thirst. He says this, he says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness—all these things come from within, and they defile a person. What is he saying? He's saying that that all these things they describe thirsts that we have that we're trying to fill somewhere, and we're and we're out doing these sinful things, and we're doing things that Jesus would go on to call evil because we're so thirsty. And the problem is our heart. It's, it's a heart issue. What we want is the problem. And so our sex life becomes the center of our life. Or our envy of other people becomes the burning desire within us. Or pride becomes all that, all that feeds our life. And, 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 and when these things are more important than anything else, we're, we're, we're just betraying our thirst. And Jesus says, when you're thirsty, come to me. Believe in me. And I will give you the Holy Spirit, which is God Himself, to live inside of you so that your heart will flow, from your heart will flow rivers of living water. And and, and what he'll do is he will change you from the inside out. Listen, Jesus invites thirsty people to come to him and drink. And when we hear that invitation to come and drink, you know, maybe we don't really feel the full weight of it because we're so spoiled by by our unlimited source and selection of things to drink. But when Jesus says he'll give the thirsty water, remember that he's saying it on a final, the final day of the feast that commemorates a time in Israel's history when they were stuck in the desert. And those who are thirsty in a desert are dying. Because in a desert, water means life. In a desert, if you're thirsty, you're dying. And so Jesus is inviting the dying to come to him for life. The the one in the desert with his strength fading, struggling to go on, hears the promise of water and he knows that this is his only hope. And look at what Jesus promises. Not only will he give you a drink to quench your thirst, but he will put a river of water in your heart. To those in a desert, a cup of water is great, but a a river changes their lives. It guarantees life. It is the source of of unending life, and the, and the spirit will be a river of water inside of you, and no desert or drought can ever cause it to run dry. Water to the thirsty, life to the dying. Jesus is all of this and more, and he makes that declaration to the crowd. Verse 40, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? What they don't know is what we know is the Christmas story that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but then under persecution, he and his family had to flee down to Egypt. But then when they came back from Egypt, they settled then in in Galilee, and that's where he grew up. But they were all like, well, the Messiah has got to come from Bethlehem. Bethlehem, he can't come from Galilee. And so it says there was division among the people over him. And people were divided over Jesus. People always are. People are always divided over Jesus. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? So the officers come back. They're supposed to arrest Jesus. They didn't arrest Jesus. They come back empty-handed. Like, like did he dodge you? And the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. It was his words. He, we, we couldn't arrest him. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? In other words, we've got this figured out. You don't. But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. I mean, you see the elitism? We know. They don't know. Nobody else knows. Just the religious leaders know. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, remember Nicodemus, if you were here uh, a couple of months ago, uh, you remember that this is the guy that they sent to go hang out with Jesus to find out if Jesus was legit or not. And this guy says this, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, "Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee." Now, their response aside, I I think I think Nicodemus gives us some pretty good advice here, and that is, don't write Jesus off before hearing him out. There are many people who, when they're searching for a God, they're looking for one that fits in the tiny little box that they have created. But let me ask you the sort of obvious but sometimes we miss it question. What if we've crea- what we've created isn't who God actually is? What if there is a God who really is holy and who does call sin evil? What if Jesus is real? What if Jesus actually is who he says he is and he won't f- live inside that neat tidy little box that we've created. Remember Jesus' brothers? I mean whatever happened to those guys? Well, we don't know what happened to all of them, but we know what happened to two of them. We know what happened to his brother James and to his brother Jude. His brothers James and his brother Jude. We know what that they ultimately end up following Jesus because if you flip open you know your Bible um, you're going to find two letters that they wrote. One is called the book of James. One is called the book of Jude. They were written by Jesus's half-brothers. At some point, those closest to him finally figured out, oh my goodness, he really is the Messiah. My big brother is God. And he moved from being just this, this, this big brother to being their personal savior. I, I don't know what you think about Jesus this morning? But would you at least hear him out? Would you hear him out? Would you listen to his claims? Would you set aside any preconceived ideas of who Jesus is? Because it's possible that he's the savior that you're looking for. So hear him out. Believe in him. Instead of trying to stuff him into your tiny little box. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, for who he actually is. Thank you for his existence and that um, and, and, and that his works and who he is and what he does. Um, doesn't depend on us, and so we pray that you would make him more and more clear uh, to us. Through the power of your word and through the power of the Spirit, would you make Jesus more and more known in our hearts that we would believe in him so that we might have eternal life, so that from our hearts would flow rivers of living water. And we pray this in Jesus' name alone. Amen.